Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. Today we're talking with John Davidson about serving the vision of another leader. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. We're so glad you're back with us. My name is Jared. My name is David. And we are in store for a little treat today. Yep, we have our friend John Davidson back with us. He was on our last episode talking about local church discipleship and pathways and strategies and some of the things that he's learning. Um, John serves in a couple different ways, and we mentioned it in the last podcast, but for those of you that maybe are listening to it out of order, um, John is the Director of Discovery and Development for the Assemblies of God. Uh, and he's the director of Alliance for Assemblies of God Higher Education, uh, which means he serves in a lot of different ways as far as creating, identifying the need for new resources for this uh, particular fellowship of churches, and also works closely with the Assemblies of God uh, universities and colleges. And uh, John, it is so good to have you back on the Multiply podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be back with you. Yeah, if you missed the last one, by the way, uh, before we jump into this topic, be sure to check it out. Uh, John laid out some great trends that are happening in healthy churches as far as making disciples. And also, um, we ended the podcast, he laid out some great outcomes of what a disciple looks like. Uh, so it's very helpful. So be sure to check that out. And he laid out one of his favorite food spots in Springfield, Missouri, which some listeners have said is their favorite portion of the podcast. That's right. And so if you, if you ever come to Springfield, Missouri, I'll be glad to take you there. There you go. There Open you invitation. Go. Open invitation to He's anybody. a man of his word. Man of his word. <laughs> you just lost. I won't pay for you. Oh. I won't pay for you, but I'll take you there. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. That's good to throw that in. We got some really creepy listeners, John. You're going to regret that. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we want to talk about leadership and in particular, um, serving the vision of another leader. Um, David and I were discussing before this, how many years combined have we been both serving the vision of another leader? About 120. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. No, 30 years, we were saying that you and I have been serving in some sort of full-time ministry role for 30 years, and for 29 and a half of them, uh, we've been serving really in second, third, fourth chair position, serving the vision of another. Uh, Just in the last six months, I've stepped into a a lead pastor role, so it's a little bit different. Some would say I've, I've left you in my dust. I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't say it that way. It's kind of harsh. But. I would, I would say you can't relate to any other person that is serving the vision of another leader anymore. So John what, and I will be the only ones that will have some good stuff to say. Well, I have stuff to say about how you can serve my vision. That'll, will that work? <laughs> so uh, that's going to be our topic today: serving the vision of another leader. And um, John, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, about maybe what are some of the essential components um, of a leader who's going to serve the vision of another leader? What does it take to do that well? Guys, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I'll try to I'll try to control myself today. So I'm like you. I I have a lot of experience serving visionary leaders, and I think it's important to say up front I have some experience serving not so visionary leaders as well. So. Um, you know, we may want to uh, compare and contrast a little bit today because the fact is there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who probably uh, are not serving a visionary leader, and that's frustrating. Um, and then there's people listening who are serving a visionary leader, 
and that carries its own kind of frustration. So uh, if you're not easy, you know, you can be frustrated in whatever situation you're in. But I can tell you that in my experience, it's a lot more fun serving a visionary leader than somebody who's who has no vision uh, who, or who is stuck in the past. Uh, but it is challenging. It is challenging. So, yeah, let's talk about some of the the major components of serving a visionary leader. You know, I, it's not going to be a surprise to you guys to hear me say that um, to serve a, a, a somebody who's a, a very visionary, visionary leader, you need to be um, a, a humble person. You need to be a supportive person. You need to be a servant-hearted person. All those things are things that you would you would probably expect. Um, but I think one of the things that oftentimes we don't expect when we think about somebody who's in that second chair role or serving the vision of uh, a visionary leader is that you really need to be an assertive person as well. So an assertive person is just someone who can say, who's comfortable saying what they want, comfortable saying what what they're really feeling. And so most visionary leaders that I have worked for, fortunately, have not wanted a yes man. They've wanted somebody who uh, can come alongside and and yes, support their vision, but somebody who can lead with them. And, um, you know, what I found is that most visionary leaders at the end of the day don't really like yes men, uh, yes women. They want somebody who is assertive in their own right and somebody who is committed to carrying out the, the leader's vision, but somebody who also can kind of stand up and uh, and stand on their own two feet. You know, so I think for all those people who are listening today that are saying, man, I'm serving a really visionary leader. I don't know what to do. Uh, should I just kind of duck my head and say, yes, sir, every time the boss uh, says something? I uh, There are some people that want that, but most people that I've served with do not want that kind of uh, of, uh, of a second chair person. So I think be humble, be servant hearted, but assertive. And I think when you combine the three of those with just a general godly attitude, um, you can serve a visionary person really, really well. John, I love that. And um, I think you're so right, right? Like um, great leaders respect great leaders. And uh, have you seen, isn't it true? Like I know in my experience, um, it tends to be what ends up happening is people that are critical but not assertive, like you said, um, won't say anything in the moments that they should. But then behind the scenes and behind the backs of the leaders will then grumble and complain and talk about how bad it is, right? But in the moments, in moments when they should be assertive, they aren't. And to me, that's always an indicator of if you really care about what you're a part of, um, you have to be willing to speak your mind in a respectful, in a humble, and, in, uh, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, in a serving way. But I think that speaks to the fact that you actually do care about what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, and, and the reality, guys, is that no leader, whether they're super visionary or whether they're, you know, maybe not the most visionary person, it, it doesn't really matter. No leader wants to look like an idiot. No leader wants to make bad decisions. And so if you're in a support role serving a leader, any kind of leader, and you can see that maybe there's decisions being made that aren't the best or that there's a better way that things could be done. Um, or that there's maybe a, a, some kind of pitfall that your leader is getting ready to, to walk into, um, and you don't speak up and say something, you're right. It shows that you don't really care about what you're a part of. And it goes even further to show that you don't really care that much about the leader that you're following, because uh, if you cared about them, you would want to care for them and, uh, and protect them 
and and make sure that they're doing their very best. And and I can tell you as a leader who has people following me and, and people on my staff team who are working for me, I want them to speak up and tell me if I'm doing something stupid, if I'm doing something that's that's uh, going to not end well, <laughs> if I'm doing something that's going to rub people the wrong way or be offensive or just be ineffective, I want those guys to speak up and say something. And it, and it doesn't mean that we'll always agree. And uh, I may disagree with them and continue on down the path and do what I want to do. But um, at least I know that those guys care about me enough to speak up and, and try to help me. John, I think the first time we met was uh, at the University of Valley Forge. Um, we were there speaking at the same event, and you had Earl Krebs with you. And yeah. uh, Earl Krebs has written a book on, and maybe even entitled, Reverse Mentoring. Um, right. John Maxwell talks about, I think John Maxwell uses the phrase leading up. And I think this is what we're talking about, using the second chair position to influence and really support and serve well the leader. And you're in a position right now, like many people are, where there are people on your team, you need them to serve you in that way. And you're also serving people who you answer to, and you're trying to serve them in that way. So you kind of are going in both directions with this. Um, could you share with our listeners, uh, we have a lot of young guys that listen in and are serving on staff at a church or under another leader. What are some practical tools for approaching these conversations? What are some things that, uh, as somebody who has people coming to you to give advice that are on your team, how does what do they do that prepares you or helps you receive what they have to say? And then also, what are some things you do when you go to those that are above you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there are some principles that I picked up over the years serving with um, what, I, what I would call like extreme visionary leaders, you know, because you have some people who are visionary and then you have some people who are really visionary, you know, who just live and it, it just they live it, they breathe it, it seeps out of their pores. And uh, so I've served some of those people and uh, have picked up some little things along the way that I'm sure aren't unique to me, but but I, I've kind of tried to create uh, vocabulary around them to help me deal with those people and help me serve them well. And then I tried to teach my team members this as well, because I think that um, I, I'm not the most visionary person in the world, but the things that I have learned, I, I would love for my team to use with me to help kind of uh, handle me or manage me sometimes uh, when I get when I get visionary. Uh, and so here's here's a couple of the things that I've picked up. Um, Number one, there's th this may seem so simple that you guys are going to say, oh, yeah, that's that's just that's a no brainer. But using the words yes and really is effective in dealing with visionary leaders. So you're in a conversation with uh, your leader, whether that's a, a leader in your business or in your local church or a you know, nonprofit or whatever the case may be. And they're spouting vision. They're saying this new great thing that they want to do. They want to. They want to create and uh, they're, you know, and maybe sometimes the ideas are overwhelming to you. And sometimes the, the idea may not even sound like a good idea to you. And your leader is saying, I want to create this. I want to build this. I want to start this new program or this new, um, this new uh, product line or whatever. And you're sitting there thinking that is the dumbest idea in the world. That will never ever work. People will not buy that. People won't participate in that. Um, but you know, the, the real danger for us guys is to be the kind of the kind of support personnel that would say that that would actually speak up and say, "Hey, we can't do that," or "That'll never work here." 
or we've never done it that way before. All of us who are visionary in any capacity hate it when people do that. So we don't want to be that kind of a leader. Um, but if you use the words yes and, it really does work to help to, to take what your leader is saying and then to allow you to add some of your own thoughts, maybe even some of your own concerns uh, to what the leader is saying. And so um, you don't want to say yes and because you're a yes man or a yes woman. You want to say yes and because it's a it's a sign of honoring and respect to your leader. Uh, you're saying yes to their idea. You're allowing your first the first words out of your mouth to be affirmative and positive and uh, agreeable. And uh, you know if the first word out of your mouth is no, what that's going to do is immediately going to put your leader back on their heels and put them in a defensive position. And that's not what that's not where you want them to be. The fact is, if God's placed them in a position of leadership, uh, they should be the one that is farther out front with vision than anybody else in the organization. So it shouldn't surprise us that their vision is a little scary or intimidating to us uh, or seems a little unnatural to us or unnerving to us. Uh, the fact is that that's the role that God's given them. So when, when we can say yes and, we honor them, and it gives us an opportunity to share our ideas when it's appropriate. I mean, um, you, could even, you could even speak up and say, yes, and pastor, I seem to remember that we tried that once before. Maybe we can learn from our successes or failures from last time as we try that again this time, rather than saying, hey, pastor, we tried that before. It didn't work. That's a stupid idea. No, you're saying, hey, yes. And I remember we've tried that and maybe it worked or it didn't, but, but I'm willing to learn from our successes and failures and give it a shot again, pastor, if that's what you want to do. And so um, another thing that I say is yes. And I'd love to bounce this idea off of a few other people and get their feedback so that I know how to best implement this idea for you. And so what that can do is that, that says yes, yes to the leader's idea and I'd like to bring some other people in on it to help us craft this. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there are some yes and ways that can help us to handle that. Um, let, let me give you one more. Um, one of the things I found really effective for people who are very visionary, who, um, who are maybe uh, thinking of, of ideas and they're getting on down the road with their ideas and they're kind of saying, Hey, let's try this new thing and let's, let's implement it immediately and let's get it done right now. Uh, one of the things that I found really effective is to speak up and say, Hey, to my leader, would you give me a week to pull some of the team together and brainstorm this and bring back a recommendation to you? Would you give me a week to research how much money it would cost to do that and to bring back a, a budget for you? Would you give me a week to look on the calendar and create a rollout plan for this idea and bring back a recommendation to you? So again, what you're doing is you're, you're not saying no, you're buying some time. And, and I, I would want to really press on listeners today and say, this isn't a way to manipulate your leader. This is a way to serve your leader well. The fact is visionary leaders are forward leaning and they have ideas and they want them done now. And that's just, that's just the way God's made them. So one of the things you can do as somebody who's, whose God-given role is there to not only help to implement their ideas, but to help bring some balance to the situation is you can, you can buy some time and be a bit of a buffer so that, um, 
the visionary leader doesn't go too fast and end up doing something that maybe is ineffective or something that they that they're going to regret later. Yeah, I love that. And don't you think too, John, that that also actually speaks to that senior leader that you have some buy-in, right? You're taking ownership yeah. of their idea. That's right. And not only are you taking ownership, but it signifies to them that you're taking immediate action. When you say to your leader, hey, would you give me a week to put together a budget on that and bring it back to you? It lets them know they've been heard. You're adopting their idea. You're not implementing it yet, but you're taking immediate action. And you're asking for time to make a plan to implement their idea. And so I've always found it's very, very affirming to a leader when they hear those kinds of words coming out of your mouth. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and speak to those leaders who are in that lead position and have people serving their vision. Um, I think about guys like David who's sitting across from me, and maybe they really struggle, just like David, to uh, hear wisdom. (laughs) You know, from their co-hosts on the podcast. Um, this is not our counseling session. <laughs> no. Uh, what would you say? What are some reasons, or maybe some potential pitfalls for for lead guys or girls who uh, they are the main vision casters? What are some potential pitfalls for them to not be willing to hear or listen from the people that are serving their vision? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I think that this is a hard one. For most leaders, especially visionary leaders, because they are out front and they have so many great ideas. So I've never been one of those kind of people that wakes up every morning and has, you know, tons of ideas. But I have served guys that have more ideas before 8 a.m. than I'll have in an entire month. And uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's invigorating in some respects, but it can also be really frustrating for followers. So I would say to the lead person, to the visionary leader, um, try as hard as you can to really be in tune with who God's created you to be. If you're a visionary leader and you have a lot of new ideas, um, it doesn't mean that you should try to change or that you should try to stop having ideas. That would be the worst thing that you could do because it would be um, to deny really who God created you to be. And I would go so far as to say the organization that, that the Lord has put you in charge of needs the ideas and creativity and vision that you have. So don't try to not be who you are. Instead, bring people around you intentionally who are unlike you. People who can, yes, serve your vision and implement it, but people who think differently than you. You know, the fact is, if you're a a high visionary person, you're going to need some people on your team that are not visionary people by nature to carry out those ideas. Because most visionary people that I know hate the details. They hate the details. They hate the actual implementation and management of ideas and and ongoing processes and programs. You need people on your team who are built to implement and manage. You need people who think in details. And we have to, as visionary leaders, we have to understand upfront that though we need those people on our team, those people will also drive us nuts because they're not like us. But guess what? You can also have the satisfaction of knowing that as the leader, you're driving them nuts. So it's okay as long as we all love each other and we say, you know what, God, uh, God's put us, placed us in this organization together, this ministry together at this time to accomplish his work. Um, and it takes all of us. It really does. So I would encourage visionary leaders to intentionally surround themselves with people who are not like them and then build uh, processes and systems into their life 
that really forced them to listen to the people around them. Maybe that's a standing meeting each week. Um, maybe that's you building some feedback systems, uh, some kind of a feedback loop from your employees or your staff or your lead volunteers where they can regularly report their, their thoughts and their feelings to you. And then I think every visionary leader needs to work really, really hard to create a culture of openness and honesty. So I served a, a great super visionary leader who not only had a new idea every five seconds, but he also implemented a, a policy in our organization that he called the honesty policy. And part of the honesty policy was that uh, when we met, uh, not necessarily every week, but especially for uh, very important meetings, every time he met with the board of elders and directors for their uh, monthly meetings, uh, every time we met for staff meetings, he would do this thing that we called honesty policy time. And every year, each person on the staff signed the honesty policy. The honesty policy just stated this, that I will share the truth and love to the last 10% to the right person at the right time. And you know what? Uh, that That is a policy that guided our staff team so that every time we finished a meeting, the leader could look at every person in the room and say, do you have anything else to say? Is there anything else that's, that has been left unsaid to this point that you don't want to walk out of the room carrying? Anything that needs to be said. And, and it was, you know, it, it was a blank slate. You could say anything. You could say, hey, you know what? Earlier in the meeting, you were casting that vision for I, that idea. And man, I just, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I don't think it's a good idea. I'm concerned about it. I'm worried about it. Um, it's an opportunity for the people in the room to, to take what's in their heart and what's on their mind and get it out on the table. Um, because as a leader, uh, you want uh, to create a space where the people in your organization, the people who are following, following you and serving you can get those ideas out on the table with you in the room. The worst thing that can happen for a visionary leader, especially is to cast a lot of vision to create a lot of anticipation, sometimes a lot of worry and concern over these new ideas or new changes, and then to release your team to walk out of the room with their questions unanswered, concerns unaddressed, and really some, some problems in their heart and mind. Uh, because the reality is, once they walk out of that room and they're not with you, there's no telling how that's going to come out of their heart. Is it going to come out in a, a hallway conversation? Is it going to come out in a text to somebody else? Um, are, are they just going to sit there and stew about it and worry about it? So I, I think the best thing to do for visionary leaders is to create that culture of honesty where the visionary leader can be exactly who God's created them to be and give permission for the people who are serving them to be who God's created them to be, to voice concerns, voice worry, and together to say, we're going to make a commitment, even though we're different, even though we think different and process different. We're going to make a commitment to working this out together. Man, that really hits home for me, John, because um, I don't know if I would describe myself as a visionary leader, but I am definitely the ideas guy that you're talking about. And um, when I was serving as a youth director in New York, I had a couple guys on my team that I would call them kind of like the rain on my parade team members. <laughs> and uh, I just fall in love with ideas, and I especially fall in love with my ideas. And... Once I realized their personality, which is a big part, of course, of understanding your team makeup, 
um, but understand that they're they're not doing this to antagonize me. This is just the way God has wired them, um, and they're a gift to me because they're going to poke holes in my ideas so that they're not dead, but so that they're better. Um, that was a big uh, moment for me. I still struggle with that, but that's something that's helped me a lot. And in that time, I also realized that this culture that you're talking about, it's one thing to say, we're going to have a culture of honesty. We're going to sign this policy. I think those are all wonderful things. But ultimately, your team's reading your actions and your reactions right. more than anything you say to them. And so I've learned that I was crushing a culture of feedback, not just by being a bully, because I, I was kind of mature enough not to be a bully, but um, simply by having an answer for everything. And so every time they'd bring up a suggestion or a critique of something, uh, I, I did a pretty good job not making them feel like a jerk, but I would always have an explanation. And I realized that um, maybe that explanation even is the right explanation, but I actually have to not say it sometimes um, just so the greater good of creating a culture of honesty and feedback can be nurtured. As soon as sharp leaders think you have the answer to everything, they stop giving you their honest feedback. Man, um, that's true. It's a waste of their time. So that's a um, that's a great um, great insight on your end as far as creating that culture and, and really pursuing that and fighting for that. Uh, we don't we're running a little bit out of time, so let me ask you this question because we've mostly been talking so far about serving our leaders uh, kind of in the inner circle, directly speaking with them, um, being in a room full of leaders. Can you just uh, maybe one final question here? Speak a little bit. What does it look like to publicly support? your leader when you sit in the second, third, fourth chair, what are the, you know, first off, how crucial is that? And what are some things you've learned? Man, it, it is so crucial. Um, all of us have probably known people who did not serve well publicly. Um, and maybe they even were a great implementer privately. They, they were great in the office. They were great with tasks, but um, maybe they, they weren't always supportive publicly. And, and I think it could be absolutely detrimental, dangerous to an organization, a church, a business, whatever the case may be. I've always felt like um, as somebody who's serving my leader, I need to do my very best to handle criticisms and problems and concerns privately with the leader. And, you know, I've found that most leaders are, um, as long as they're a decent leader, they they want to handle those things privately. Certainly don't want to handle them publicly. So um, I, I think what we talked about earlier, the honesty policy can help a lot of this because it gets a lot of these things out on the table um, with you as the leader in the room uh, and, and allows you to address that. But, but I would say that as somebody who has followed uh, really strong leaders, really influential leaders and, and served them, I hope pretty well over the last few years. One of the things that I always try to do, guys, is I always try to give a lot of credit to my leaders. Um, and, and that's not, again, it's not manipulation and, and it's not just blowing smoke, but I feel like God has, has been really gracious to me to put me in positions where I'm serving some really incredible people. And so, um, if I'm not in a situation where I can't publicly praise that person and, and give public support for them, um, I need to really consider if that's a place that, that I should be serving. So, uh, you know, if I'm in a place where if all I can think of is critical things or, or something like that, that's not, that's not a good thing. Another thing that I've discovered is that um, when God gives you influence with a leader, uh, puts you in a position where you are stewarding helping to steward the influence of a leader. Um, everything that you say 
and everything that you do is being heard and watched by a whole bunch of people. And it gets, uh, it becomes obvious to people really quickly. If you're doing something that's undercutting your leader, people can sniff that out really easily. So I like to give a lot of credit to the leaders that I serve, uh, give them compliments um, in front of them, but also when they're not around. And uh, I want people around me to hear me complimenting the leader that I work for. Um, oftentimes, even when I don't have to, and I, I do this now um, when I travel a lot for work and speak in front of a lot of different groups. And I, very, very often, even just last week, I was on a trip um, and, and I had been invited to speak to a group. They invited me. But when I stepped on the platform, one of the things that I said in my introductory remarks was, hey, I'm, I want to greet you on behalf of Doug Clay, the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. Um, it lets people know I'm giving honor to my leader. Um, even though I was the one who was invited to speak, I'm giving honor to my leader and, and I'm letting them know I am a representation of him. Uh, sure, I hear, I'm here and I represent myself and other things that I'm doing, but I'm also representing my leader and I'm speaking well of him. And um, I, I'm making sure to give credit where credit is due and to honor the people that God's put in positions of leadership. And and I'll, the last thing I'll say is this, guys. One of the things that I've learned um, is that a lot of times when you're in a supportive role, uh, it, it's very likely that people will come and they will give you interesting compliments like maybe you maybe you preached one sunday you're not the lead pastor but you preach one sunday and they'll say boy i wish you preached all the time i just love to listen to your preaching boy i wish that i wish the pastor would let you preach more often and the question for us is how are we going to respond when people say things like that um that's a that's a very touchy situation so in a situation like that i always just like to say Man, thank you for that compliment. That's so that's so kind of you. I, I really appreciate every opportunity the pastor gives me to preach and and to come alongside him in ministry. And I'm just thankful for a pastor that that includes other voices and and um, you know gives me this opportunity and 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 just compliment it. Be very be very uh, receive their compliment, but also pass compliments along to your leader. And and uh, so in doing that, we show again we show honor to the leader. We're not taking all the credit for ourselves, and um, I think as we do those kinds of things, when our leader's not around, eventually our leaders hear about the the way that we're conducting ourselves, and uh, it brings great honor to them, and will eventually increase the trust that they have in us as yeah. one of their uh, supporters. That's great, man. That's that's such good wisdom, and um, we uh, we're thankful for that. Thankful for you sharing these. Uh, these these thoughts with us, and I know even for me, I'm, I've been learning a lot just as I've been listening to you. Um, we'd like to uh, not only talk about discipleship and leadership on the podcast, but we also like to talk about food. And so uh, we want to hear from you, the greatest gluttony fest in all of America. We all know is Thanksgiving. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish? Oh, wow. That, yeah. You know, guys, this is a really tough one because there's so many. And well, we ask the hard questions it, here on the Multiply Podcast. You do. This is a this is a this is a a hard hitting interview right here, guys. Uh, you you saved the hardest questions a lot. I would say the best Thanksgiving side dish, and that different people have different names for them, but in my family, it's yams, yams. So uh, some people, you know, it's sweet potatoes. 
Um, so for, for me, it's yams. It, 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 was that a thing in your home? I know what you're talking about, but okay. um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're like an orange colored uh, yeah. root vegetable, vegetable, right? Usually yeah, yeah. with like a ton of like Throw some brown sugar, sugar on, on them and butter, pecans yes. or something. Yes, I love the yams. Candied yams yeah, are the best. Candied mm-hmm. yams. And one, one year, um, my mom, she used to cook these yams and she would cover them with marshmallows Mm. Uh, which is the the traditional preparation, which I really way. appreciate. That's the best way. And Your mom put is it a in saint. The, it, yes, and she would put them in the oven. And one year, uh, she left them in the oven a little too long, and all the marshmallows caught on fire. <laughs> and uh, so from that year on, we referred to them as flaming yams. Uh-huh. And so every year we have flaming yams, and uh, it's, it's just my favorite. Oh, man, that sounds fantastic. Um, John, if our listeners want to connect with you, find you online, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, guys, um, on social media stuff, I am John Davidson one, the number one, which obviously means that I wasn't the first. But um, (laughs) there's this, you know, famous actor game show host musician john davidson from uh, the 60s and 70s who beat me to it but uh, john davidson one is where you can find me and then uh listeners can check out the podcast that i do uh over at the influence podcast if you just search influence podcast wherever you get your podcast it'll it'll pop up and uh we've had uh you on there david and um and a lot of other great folks and uh, hope people will go check it out yeah, I'd highly recommend it. I listen to it. I have, uh, I'm subscribed to it, and I just started following you on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, baby, there you go, John. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.